and mine uh, named Jacob. That's his, his um, Christian name, as they call it in South Sudan, where it's, it's tradition if you begin to follow Jesus that in addition to your tribal name, you'll gain a Christian name, typically a name uh, taken from the Bible. So his name is, is Jacob, his Christian name, and he's just fearless for the gospel. He loves God. He is passionate about sharing the good news of what God has done for us in Jesus. How God sent his son Jesus to invade this broken and messed up world. Jesus lived a perfect life. He died on a cross as a sacrifice for us in my place, in your place. He died to take the punishment that we deserve because of our sin. And by his death, Jesus erased it. He just erased it. He rose from the dead on the third day and ascended into heaven, went up into heaven as a picture of what will happen to us. If we believe in him and trust in him and follow him, if we have surrendered our lives to him, then also when we die, we will go up into heaven to be with God forever and ever. This amazing story we call the gospel, what God has done for us in Jesus. And Jacob loves to share the gospel. He also loves to pray. He loves to ask God to move in radical power. We've been witnessing that uh, through the book of Matthew. In chapters 5 through 7, where Jesus, in what we call the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus went up on a mountain, he sat down, and he began to teach. And for three chapters, we were hearing the stories of what he taught. And then chapters 8, and now, tonight, getting into chapter 9, it's more about the proclamation of the gospel. So you had, or sorry, that was the proclamation. Now it's about the demonstration of the gospel. These two things go together all the way through the scriptures. You will hear Jesus teach about the kingdom of God, and then you'll hear him and witness him uh, put it into practice, where he loves radically. He pours out amazing grace, and these incredible miracles take place through him. So the power of God is witnessed in both the proclamation of the kingdom and the demonstration of the kingdom. That's why throughout the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the Bible, we see Jesus preaching, teaching, driving out demons, and healing the sick just as a normal course of life. This is what he does. Now, all too often in the, in the U.S. today, we sort of separate that. We are busy with the preaching and teaching, whether we're doing it ourselves, we're grabbing the podcast, we're doing the Bible studies, we're soaking all that in, and it's so important, so needed, and so biblical. But all too often, it's easy to lose the driving out demons and healing the sick part. Maybe it feels a little too radical for our culture. Maybe it's not anything that we've ever been deeply discipled in. Maybe for some of us, we didn't grow up with it. Then when we become adults, we begin to move that way, but if we're not intentional about it, we'll kind of revert back. Other cultures in the world are different. Some cultures are really strong on the driving out demons, healing the sick, not as strong on the preaching and teaching. I think the scriptures would exhort us to walk in all of them, and that's what our friend Jacob lives out so powerfully. He went on this missionary journey just on his own, came to see me one day in South Sudan, and He said, Peter, I'm about to go to another tribe. I was fired up. He has quite a long journey to go through the Jewer peoples whom we live among to the next tribe over, known to to be a tribe that's caused a lot of problems for the Jewer over the years. And he said, I'm going to that tribe, just wanted to ask for prayer. So we were praying for Jacob and off he went. I was so fired up to hear the story when he got back and 
There were so many stories of things that had happened on that missionary journey and others. One of my favorite stories was about this lame guy that he found in this place called Farakasika. He went to Farakasika, and there's this guy who couldn't walk, hadn't been able to walk for five years. So, so many powerful stories have come out of Farakasika in, in, in recent days, but sort of a precursor to this was, was Jacob, and he goes and he prays for this lame guy, and as he tells the story, he just started praying and praying and praying and praying. It wasn't just him, there were other, other believers in Jesus there, and and at first, it was like nothing had happened. But as I, as I recall the story, he, he said it was, it was hours of prayer, not just, not just a little bit of time. They just began to cover this guy in prayer, to soak him in prayer. Over the course of time, things just started happening. The guy just began to feel like maybe something was taking place in his, his body to the point where, where Jacob finally felt like he should help him up. Rather brave and bold move. So he just went. And help the guy up. And the guy, the lame guy, just began to stand up, standing there. And Jacob just started helping him walk. Took a step, another step, another step. First, it was kind of slow, you know, kind of hobbling along. And uh, Jacob kept helping him and just started getting better, better and better and better. And they thought, well, let's see what happens by nightfall because maybe... It was just a temporary thing, but by nightfall, the guy's still walking around. And they said, well, let's see what happens in the morning. But they get up in the morning and the guy's still walking around. And then weeks later, by the time I heard the story, the guy was still just walking around. And the testimony went everywhere. And that place, Farkasika, or, or sorry, Noctamanga was where it was, Noctamanga, uh, the next message I got was, hey, Peter, pray for us because there's a team of us now going to Noctamanga because they want to burn their idols. So the team goes out there, and the next report I get are these, the six names of six different idols that they were burning in this place. And you can see the powerful picture of the proclamation and demonstration of the kingdom of God. Preaching, teaching, driving out demons, healing the sick. This is just what Jesus does, and this is who he is. And this is such great news for you and me. Praise God that he's not a God that's just limited to one sphere. But when he impacts our life, it changes us spiritually and physically and emotionally in so many ways. All right. Two weeks ago, we were on the story of Jesus calming the storm. Last week, it was Jesus um, driving demons out of these two demonized guys. And this week, it's Jesus healing a paralytic. So we're witnessing this picture of Jesus preaching and teaching and now driving out demons and healing the sick. Chapter 9, verse 1 of Matthew. And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. You might recall if you were with us last week, Jesus was in the boat. They went from the Jewish area to the Gentile area. That's the, that's the non-Jews. And the two demonized guys were radically freed. I can't even imagine the impact on them. But then Jesus was chased out of the village. The villagers were so scared by what they had seen, they begged him to leave. Jesus got back in the boat, he crossed back over the other side and went to Capernaum, which was his home. Although he had grown, had born in Bethlehem, but grown up in Nazareth, he had shifted to Capernaum and that's where he went. Verse 2, and behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, 
the faith of the people who brought Jesus to them, he said to the paralytic, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. What a powerful picture this is of the importance of the faith of the friends. I don't know who you're praying for or who you're sharing the love of God with. Maybe people in your life who have never experienced the love and the grace of God. They're living a life so far away from Him. Maybe without hope, maybe down on themselves, so desperately in need from a touch from Him. And this story is one of the greatest encouragements I think we can read in the Bible. Look at the story again. It says, when Jesus saw their faith, the faith of the friends, the faith of the people who brought the paralyzed man to Jesus, when he saw their faith, he said, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus didn't immediately look at the man and said, you're healed. He said something far more important to him. Your sins are forgiven. The Bible's so clear that the only way for us to get to God is to have our sins forgiven. We are sinners, all of us, every one of us. We have messed up. And it's easy for us to have this lie going through our heads that we are worse sinners than somebody else. But you can always find someone who's a worse sinner than you. And you can always find someone who's, who's less of a sinner than you. And for all of us on the planet, it doesn't matter whether our sins are small or big. Because compared to God, they're all big. And so it doesn't matter who we are, and it doesn't matter what we've done, and it doesn't matter what shame we might feel in our life. When we come to Jesus, he just sets us free of all of it. It's, it's all gone. It's equally wiped away. And the most radical thing you'll ever hear is that God loves you enough to remove that sin from your life and just set you free. And that's the great news of the gospel. And that's why this story, what God has done for us, is so huge and so important. And you would think that here's this guy who's paralyzed and desperately needs to be healed. But there's something that he needs so much more than that. And Jesus, in his love and in his mercy, recognizes that and honors that. And you can think about his friends. When his friends brought the paralyzed guy to Jesus, and Jesus looked at his friends and he saw their faith. He honored them in the greatest possible way, which was for this guy's sins to be forgiven. It's an encouragement to so many of us who've been following Jesus for a while. And maybe we're, we're begging for healing from that physical thing we've dealt with for a long time. Maybe we're begging for God to reconcile a relationship that has gotten strained. Maybe we're begging for God to, to give us uh, children or to provide finances or the job that we so badly want. There's so many things maybe that our hearts are crying out for and asking God to do in our lives. And sometimes God delays giving us that because there's something even more important that he needs to do in us. Jesus is going to heal this guy. In just a couple of verses, we're going to see Jesus touch him. But before he touches him, he gives him something even more important, which is a healing of the soul. Some spiritual work that Jesus needed to do in him. And it's such an encouragement to those of us who have just been praying and begging God to answer these prayers in our lives. And sometimes he's doing it, but he's answering another prayer first. There's something even more important that he wants to shape in us or mold in us or, or bless us with. Something that he cares about even more. And in time, in time, that other prayer may also be answered. When Jesus saw their faith, the faith of the friends... 
He said to the paralytic, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. I don't know who you're praying for today, who you're asking today that God would touch and allow them to experience his love, but please don't stop. Jesus saw their faith, and he said to the man, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes, scribes are the ones who used to write things down in the Jewish faith. They were people who were known and highly regarded. But some of the scribes said to themselves, this man is blasphemy. Because in their mind, the scribes are saying, who can forgive sins, right? You've got to be God who can forgive sins. But Jesus, verse 4, knowing their thoughts, said, why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say, rise and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed and go home. Now, how did Jesus know this? How did he know what these people were thinking? Somehow, Jesus knew what these scribes had in their minds. And my best guess would be that Jesus was in touch with God himself who could reveal the truth of what they were thinking. Now, there is a debate that goes on when you read the pages of the New Testament and specifically Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the question is, now, was Jesus acting out of his divinity? We know that he was fully God, fully man. Was he acting out of his divinity when he did all these miracles or... Was he acting by the power of the Holy Spirit? I fall in the second camp where you could read in Philippians 2 that Jesus emptied himself as he was coming to earth to live as a man. He certainly was fully man and fully God. But the Bible is clear that when Jesus was was baptized, the Holy Spirit came down on him. And so it seems to me that Jesus was operating by the power of the Holy Spirit so that he could leave an example for us. So we can read the page of the Bible and we can say, this is what we're to do. Jesus was doing that with his disciples at the time. And if you've ever read through uh, the New Testament before, you may have, have caught how Jesus was, was teaching the disciples, these people who were following him, and then he sent them out to do the same thing. He expected them to do exactly what he was doing. And then at the At the end of the book of Matthew, he tells them to go out and teach others to do the same thing. So Jesus intended for his example to be replicated and lived out all the way down to today. So you and I are charged to do the same thing. If that's true, then this passage is rather compelling. How did Jesus know that? How did he know what they were thinking? Well, I love how the Bible communicates that God is a God who speaks and we are ones who can listen and that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God himself who dwells within each one of us who believe in him, God himself through the Holy Spirit speaks to us. He is our counselor, the Bible tells us. And in Galatians chapter 5, we are exhorted to keep in step with the Spirit So the Spirit speaks and we move, or He convicts us and and we stop. He guides us and directs us. That's the powerful, radical, beautiful thing about God Himself. He doesn't just leave us on earth to figure it out ourselves, but He jumps into the mess with us and He guides us and encourages us and heals us and, and directs us. And so I love how even on Friday night at our Night of Hope two nights ago, that was so powerfully lived out and 
how so many hopefuls, so many of our covenant community here are just pressing into God. I think even during the fast in January, I wonder how many of us were praying and fasting and asking God just to speak to us, to help us know his voice more and more, to allow us to keep in step with him better and better. Jesus here, I think, by the power of the Holy Spirit, knew what was going on in their minds. Can you imagine what it was like to be a scribe? You're beginning to think, this guy's blasphemous. In the next moment, Jesus turns. He begins to talk to you. He said, why do you think evil in your hearts? Verse 4. And then verse 5. For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk. So Jesus is, is sort of making the argument here that it, it, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because no, nobody here is going to know if sins are forgiven or not. But if I say to this paralyzed man, layman, walk, uh, rise and walk, you will all know whether or not that was true, by whether or not he stands up and walks. So that's the harder thing to say. That's the argument Jesus is making. Verse 8, but that you may know that the Son of God, Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. Now, this is incredible. If we were to follow Jesus' model, preaching, teaching, driving out demons and healing the sick, then how do we do that? Right? How do you turn to, to a paralyzed guy and just say, stand up, take your mat, and go home? And the guy just does it. You know, for all of us who've never been discipled into that, trained into that, taught into that, maybe you've never seen it before. And if you haven't, it's so hard to wrap our minds around. What is it like for Jacob in South Sudan, together with the others who are praying for a guy who's also paralyzed and can't walk, but he stands up and walks? Once you begin to witness it, once you begin to see it, once you begin to fathom and experience and feel and taste of the power and the love of God, it becomes so real for you that life changes. You just begin to, to live differently and to move differently and to function differently. And one of the worst things, I think, for so many of us in our journey with God is just that we haven't seen it before. I want to encourage us all to get out of our box. Try to find other places where we can dive in. Maybe other places of our city, other places in our nation, other places around the world. And be willing to put ourselves in positions where we don't feel comfortable, but where we are highly biblical. Where we get out of this zone where we typically live and say, no, I, I'm so hungry for this. I, I want this. I'm going I'm to jump into that. Where we don't just settle for this typical subnormal Christianity that so many of us experience today, but instead we are desperate for normal, biblical Christianity. It's a challenging spot. I found myself in one day when I was face to face with a witch doctor and praying for him. A man who was staunchly denying Jesus, but had some physical things that he was experiencing and allowed me to pray for him. I remember just this deep sense that God wanted me to pray for him. And I had to come face to face this reality of, what if this doesn't work? <laughs> what if I pray for him and nothing happens? Is that on me or is that on God? Well, it's not on me if I've been faithful to pray when God wanted me to pray. I'm not God's PR agent. God doesn't even need a PR agent. 
God's going to do what God's going to do, but I am charged to be faithful. And I don't want to live this life that's just so safe and so comfortable and never get to be biblical. I want to live a life that is truly, fully experiencing all that God has. I remember going into that prayer time with this sense of fear and trembling, and, and we prayed and prayed and prayed. But I remember by the end, as time went by and this witch doctor allowed us just to keep praying, keep praying for him and praying for him. I remember by the end in our last prayer time, this overwhelming sense of the presence of God. I could have told you with my whole heart at that moment that I expected him to be healed. Now, I've been through a million prayer times that didn't feel that way. Just praying and pressing in and begging God to move. But I think about that and I think, is that the type of feeling that Jesus had? Did he have that same feeling that I had that day when I was praying for that witch doctor? When I was just so confident the power and presence of God is here. I am confident that when I open my eyes from this prayer time, this witch doctor is about to be healed. And he was. And I just wonder, if that is that what Jesus was experiencing? If he was, that makes total sense to me. It's just such a sheer sense of the imminence of God's healing and the power of his presence. Hey, you just know this is going down. God's about to touch this person right now. And I wonder what it looks like for you and me if God will touch us and allow us to live so fully into what Jesus was experiencing. How would Houston change? How would our families change? How would our neighborhoods change? What would it look like when you walk into Kroger or H-E-B or some supermarket and you, you encounter someone, you begin to talk with them, you try to share with them about Jesus, you find out that something's going on in them physically, you begin to pray for them, God heals them on the spot, they come to church with you the next Sunday. This to us all too often seems like that would be so amazing, but that's radical. And I think the scriptures would would say, no, but if you press in enough, that might become normal. And so there's such an encouragement for us when we read the Scriptures, not just to read it and say, this is amazing who Jesus is and what he did, and we'll just kind of categorize it over here on the periphery, and then we'll just keep moving. But instead, Hope Family, just want to encourage us to take it and just allow ourselves to run face into it. Sunday after Sunday and day after day. And wake up tomorrow and say, God, will you just give me that? Will you just give me boldness to share the gospel? Will you just give me miracles happening in my life? Will you just put me in positions where I feel really awkward and uncomfortable so that I can reflect you to, to Houston. I can reflect you wherever I go. So people can know you as a God who, who loves them and, and cares for them and, and heals them. Preaching, teaching, driving out demons, healing the sick. Two hands of ministry, the proclamation and demonstration of the kingdom. But what happens when you tie one hand behind your back? That's all too often what our experience is like. And I just want to encourage us as a church to keep pressing in for the fullness of all that God has for us. Verse 7, he rose and went home. Verse 8, when the crowd saw it, they were afraid. Isn't that an amazing descriptor? They were afraid. Could have said they were amazed, I'm sure they were. They were mesmerized, I'm sure that was true. They couldn't stop talking about it, probably also true. 
but they were afraid. That's what's highlighted here. And they glorified God who had given such authority to men. There was fear and there was worship. And I wonder sometimes if we don't fail to experience more of the power and the glory of God because we've somehow lost that sense of fear and worship. We talked a lot about this two weeks ago. Jesus calming the storm. He finished calming the storm, and the disciples are terrified. Who is this man? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Last week, it was with the crowd, the villagers, when they saw Jesus drive the demons out of those two men, and then they, they wanted Jesus to leave because they were afraid. And here for the third week in a row, we have another encounter of fear where they experience this encounter with Jesus, and they're afraid. They just see such power and such authority in him, and it just takes them aback. Here's Jesus forgiving sins and, and driving demons out. Now, we can't forgive sins. That, that's purely Jesus as the Son of God who can do that. But Jesus, who drove out demons last week and then this week, healing the paralyzed guy, what the Holy Spirit can do through us, if we will just have that sense of awe and reverence before God. Because hope, family, these two things go together, I think. This sense of miracles happening through our lives is generally accompanied by a sense of expectation of miracles happening through our lives. Normally, you don't get one without the other. And we're not going to expect miracles to take place through our lives unless we believe that God is who he says he is, that he is really big, that he is really powerful, that he is really mighty. And, and if all of that is true, then a miracle is not even a miracle for him. It's just him doing what he does. God just moving and stirring and bringing his majesty into our brokenness. And miracles just breaking out and taking place. But for you and me to really expect that to happen, we're going to have to see him for who he is. Not caught in this cultural Christianity of American 2021, which has God as so small, almost some sort of glorified Santa Claus, but instead the God of the Scriptures, the God who's really big and really powerful, so much so that we stand in awe of Him, even, even have this sense of fear, not, not a bad fear, but a beautiful fear, not an unhealthy fear, but a really important and, and precious fear, this, this sort of fear that I even felt with my my dad growing up, my mom growing up, the most amazing parents, most loving parents. My dad, the most gentle man I've ever been around. So not a fear like I wanted to be away from him. I loved him, wanted to be with him. He was incredible. But this fear of respect. Maybe we could say awe. Maybe we could say reverence. Maybe we could say honor. And with God, so important for you and me. When Sean and I were picking out the names of our kids it was just really important to us to the names that were chosen for each of our kids and Timothy is our second born our first son and Timothy means one who reveres God and I deeply deeply long in my whole heart that our son and all of our children and for us and for our church we will be people who revere God we are people that, that see him and his majesty and his glory and his power. And no matter what, what our culture tries to, to tell us about God, he, 
we don't see him as, as small, but as, as great. And the way that we live our lives reflects that he's really great. The way that we pray, we just expect him to move. And, and the way that we encounter people who are sick, we, we know God can heal them because it doesn't even take any power from him. It's just him doing what he what he does and the way that we talk about him is with, with reverence and with honor. The way that we, we live our lives shows that, that we just honor him with all that we have. And there's that sense of a great and glorious fear that really just is reverence and awe and worship. And with that, God just begins to move in our lives because we love him more than anybody else. So when we go to the supermarket, we can't help but talk about it. When we're filling up our car with, with gas, we just begin to share with the person who's at the next pump over. Our, our friends at, at school or, or in the workplace or on those Zoom calls just know there's, there's just something about us. We, we've been touched from above. There's something about God's presence in our lives and we love to pray for those who are sick or, or in need because we just have this sense of God's grandeur and this desperate desire for all people to know him and how amazing he is. Let me ask you to stand. Let me ask our music team and our prayer team to come. I don't know if you've ever had an encounter with God tonight, but we want to invite you to have one now. Uh, to come forward and receive prayer. It could be that you walk through these doors hurting in some way. I know many of us did, and we would be honored to pray for you. Uh, we would invite you to come and allow our prayer team uh, to really uh, get to cover you. Uh, Paul Wyatt and Emily Spitz are going to be in the back, and then some of us are going to be up front. And we want to encourage you, whether you're a guest or a covenant member, just to come and and pray with us. Just let us know anything that's on your heart. And we would be honored to lift you up. Let's be expectant, Hope family, even tonight as we pray. And press in for all that God is going to do. Thank you, Father, for how you love us. You are such an incredible God. We are so unworthy of you. Very broken. Very weak. Very aware of our failings and our faults. Some of us... Even tonight, just beating ourselves up for ways that we've stumbled and, and fallen. And maybe thinking, how can I go for prayer? I'm just, I've done so much. But God, I want to pray and, and ask that tonight we wouldn't be hindered by the things from the past, but by the truth of the Bible. That you are a God of love and of care, of mercy and of grace, of how you shower us with kindness and you pursue us when we when we turn and we run to you you are there with open arms and I pray that your power and your love would just meet us tonight that you would move us move in us right where we're standing now and as we as we come for prayer I pray that you would touch us as only you can God we ask for a radical encounter with you those of us who have never walked with you before or or those of us who have but we just so desperately long for your, your healing in our lives. So we just touch us and move in us. God, I pray that you do it in great power now. Do it for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.